Philippians chapter number 2. I want to preach to you tonight on the topic of glory to His name. We sang about it tonight. Glory to His name. He's due all the glory. I think we know that in an academic sense, but I think sometimes our flesh has trouble with that. We like the glory for ourselves. But the Bible says that all glory belongs to Him. We like the show, but the Bible says that it all belongs to Him. We like the prominence and the preeminence, but it all belongs to Him. Philippians chapter number 2 tonight, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 5. Read down to verse 11. I just want to give you a few simple thoughts this evening. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you give me the power and unction of your Spirit. Lord, I, I thank you that your Holy Spirit indwells me, but Lord, I'm asking for Him to empower me. Father, I pray that every single word spoken would be fit according to your will and plan. Father, that I not say anything I shouldn't and that I not shy away from anything that I should say. But God, that this message tonight would be holy for your glory and for your honor. Speak to each heart according to your will. Lord, if there's one lost amongst us, I pray that you would show them their need of salvation. Show them the love and the sacrifice of Calvary. Show them, Father, that through grace they may know your Son. Father, we love you tonight. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This is probably one of the most difficult portions of Scripture in the Word of God. In my mind, difficulty in understanding the Scripture basically falls into two categories. It falls into the category of unfamiliar or uh, vague or however you'd like to describe it, language. Language that we have trouble comprehending. Uh, and in my mind, this is the more uh, easy, this is the more uh, acceptable, this is the more attainable of the difficulties concerning the Word of God. However, there are certain passages of Scripture in which the language is as plain as one could ask for, just as plain as if you and I were to talk one with another, and yet the thoughts offer to us something that sounds the depths of the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Something that absolutely moves beyond the fathomable and beyond the understandable and something that just must be accepted as truth from Holy Scripture. There's much in the book of Philippians that is this way. But every time that I come to this passage, there is a, a difficulty in understanding some of the depth concerning this. Uh, but I believe that the key to understanding this passage is found in verse number 11 in the little phrase, to the glory of God the Father. Do you know that everything that God does is for His glory primarily? We have a very self-centered attitude as human beings. I think there's no question about that. 
you ask a, a group of a hundred people if you used to lay a hundred dollar bill right in the middle of the uh, floor and not tell anybody anything about each other and just say who you think ought to deserve that hundred dollar bill, I kind of I kind of guess they'd all say the same person, me, amen. And uh, if you used to ask the average person, do you think you're a pretty good Christian? I think everyone would probably say yes. If you say, do you believe you're worse than some? They'd say, well, sure. But if you say, do you believe you're better than some? They'd say, why, sure. We always place the emphasis on self. The natural man always places emphasis on self. But do you know that everything that God does, He does for His own glory. Now, He can do that because He's God and He deserves all the glory. You and I have no right to claim this because we do not deserve the glory. But as the God of heaven, as the Creator of earth, as the Savior of man, as the Lamb that was slain, He deserves all the glory that there is to give. It's not about you tonight. I mean, I I know that doesn't sound very nice, and I don't mean it in an ugly way, uh, but that's just the flat truth about it. It's not about you, it's about Him. Your life is not about you, your life is about Him if it's going to amount to anything. You draw a breath, not so that you can be comfortable, but so that you can give Him glory. Your legs function and you can walk and you can move, uh, not so that you can work for yourself, but so that you can work for His glory. Your mind is clear and lucid. Well, some of us is, amen. And if your mind is clear and lucid and functions, it's not so that you can dwell on your own greatness, but so that you can dwell on His glory and give Him praise. We have a great misnomer in believing that just because uh, God gave it all for us, that it's all about us. God gave it all for us that He might get it all for Him and for His glory. You say, that's selfish. No, He's God. He's God. That's not selfish. He's God. He deserves it. He didn't have to die for your sins to be God. He was God before He died for your sins, and if He had never died for your sins, He would have still been God. He would have still deserved glory. Even if He had never done those things, He would have deserved glory. And a life, a Christian life, that does not bring glory to God is defeating the purpose of its existence. See, that's why I believe that we ought to be stalwart in our doctrine, don't you? Because we may grow the thing and pack out the building and we may be busting out at the seams and we may have man's approval, but if we do it and forfeit our ability to give glory to God, if we do it and forfeit the stance that God has called us to, if we do it in a way that compromises the glory of God, we've messed up. I believe we ought to reach everybody that we can as long as we don't take the glory away from God. I believe we ought to reach everyone that we can as long as we don't compromise His Word and bring shame to His name. His Word is more important. His Word is more important than your plans and processes. His Word is... Listen, I'm going to say something that might might be a little foreign, but can I say to you that His Word is more important than souls? I know we don't like that because it's contrary, because compromisers have taught us that nothing is more important than the souls of men, but the Bible teaches that the glory of God is more important than the souls of men. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says He hath magnified His Word above His name. You know why He's... It's at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow. We read it in our text. That every tongue shall confess. There's none other name uh, given under heaven, given among men, whereby you must be saved. The name of God is always identified with the salvation of Jesus Christ. But God says, my word's more important than that name. Without His Word, that name has no definitions and no boundaries. Without His Word, that name means absolutely nothing. I believe that the Word of God is more important than the souls of men. You say, preacher, are you saying that we need to be one of these reclusive and isolationist Baptist churches? And I've known a lot of them. 
that their attitude was if we're doctrinally straight, we don't have to reach anyone. No, I reject that. I believe we have a responsibility to reach the souls of men, but we ought not compromise the Word of God to do it. Because the primary thing is not reaching the souls of men. That's a primary work, but that's not the primary purpose. There's a difference. The primary work that we are to be employed in is reaching the souls of men, but the primary purpose for which we exist is to give God glory. Say, so, ah, preacher, split in the hairs. Well, get out here and talk to some of these liberal churches. It's made a difference in their congregations. Because they have absolutely thrown out the truth of God's Word so that they can try to pack their pews. And you say, what's the problem with that? The problem with it is, is 20 years down the road when they've got a congregation of people that don't believe anything. The problem is 20 years down the road when they've got a group of people that think because they were born into a Baptist church that they were born into the family of God. And you say, that couldn't happen. Well, study history a little bit and find out if it couldn't happen. Study history and find out about, about the halfway doctrine. Find out if it couldn't happen. Uh, study history and find out if you can't get a whole generation of people that arise that do not know God. The book of Judges said it happened. I believe it's all for His glory tonight. I believe it's all for His praise tonight. And the book of Philippians chapter number 2 says that the plan of redemption is for the glory of God. That the purposes of God are for His glory. I want us to just notice a couple things tonight. I want you to notice first off, look at verse number 9. The Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name. Notice that this statement is not qualified upon the belief of man. But it is a statement of action carried out by God Himself. I want to say a word about the reality of this glory. The reality of the glory of this name. Do you know that God gives glory to the name of Jesus Christ? Do you know, listen, do you know heaven? We may not glorify His name here, but heaven's glorifying it. The Bible says, and we all like to think of heaven as being, you know, Mamma and Papa and, you know, uh, uh, Aunt whatever and Uncle whatever, and they're all standing around a big fishbowl looking down at us. If you want to believe that, that's fine. We can fight about it if you want, but I'm not interested in fighting about it. But when I see heaven in the book of Revelation, I see people gathered around a throne. I see the glory being given to the Lamb. And I see people crying out to the God of heaven and giving Him the praise and the honor and glory. Heaven is glorifying God tonight. Regardless of what man believes down here, heaven's glorifying God. Regardless of the feelings of political figures, heaven is glorifying God tonight. Could I say this? In a sense, hell is glorifying God tonight. You say, oh, preacher, I don't know about that. Hell sounds like a pretty awful place. You want to think God being within a million miles of anybody's lips in hell? Uh, could I say to you that when we see in Luke chapter number 16 a picture of the rich man, you see a man that believes some things about God. He didn't believe Him in his life, but he believed Him in his death. You see a man that believed that Jesus Christ was the only way in Luke chapter 16. You see a man that believed that the work and the cause of Christ was worthwhile uh, when he said uh, to Abraham to send Lazarus uh, to my five brethren, send someone to them that they may hear about the gospel, send someone to them that they may hear the truth and not come to this horrible and terrible place. Hey, there's churches not interested in that, but hell's more interested in it than a lot of Baptist churches are. I mean, people in hell, they know that God's the boss. <laughs> People on this earth don't know God's boss yet. They'll find out one of these days, but they don't know it yet. And there's a lot of Christians who haven't figured it out yet. They don't know that God's the boss, that He's God, and that we're not. They haven't figured that out yet. But hell knows it. Hell understands it. Do you know that for some people, Satan 
gives more glory to God in a sense than their lives do. Whenever Satan sought to tempt our Lord and Savior, you know how he did it? He did it by twisting Scripture. He acknowledged that the words of God had a power to them. The Bible says concerning devils, and I don't believe it's talking about the devil when it says this, but devils, it says the devils also believe and tremble. What I'm saying is this, whether we want to glorify Him or not, He is getting glory. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, God is getting glory. Listen, He has been glorified, and He will be glorified. Whether we accept that premise, whether we acknowledge that God deserves the glory or not, He still deserves the glory. The Bible doesn't say that God hath highly exalted Him if you believe it. The Bible doesn't say God hath highly exalted Him uh, if it's palatable to our theological body of truth. But the Bible says this is something that God has done. Not will do, but He has done. Christ has been glorified in heaven. It's a reality. Let me say that it is a sovereign glory. When it says exalted Him, you know what that means? It means given Him a place of, of prominence and preeminence. Given Him the authority. The Bible says that all judgment is committed unto the Son. Do you know that just as God the Father is sovereign, that Jesus Christ is sovereign? We don't speak about Jesus Christ being sovereign very much because we, we identify uh, the sovereignty of God with some type of cold, distant, disconnected, uh, hateful will. And we, uh, for some reason, associate the compassion of God with His tendency to want to redeem fallen man. It is God's sovereign will that none should perish. That's God's sovereign will. That's what He desires. That's what He wants to do. Now, there's some other things within His will that will prohibit Him from impeding upon the free will of man. But it doesn't make His will in that matter any less sovereign. All things that God does are sovereign. He is highly exalted. His, listen, His reign is unchallenged. It may be challenged on this earth, but it's not challenged in a way that would concern God. When Satan rose up in pride and insolence, that didn't unseat God for one moment. Every time that Satan is sought to thwart the plan of God, that did not cause God to be unseated upon His throne for one moment. His rule is sovereign. His glory is sovereign. It is within the purpose and plan of God hath highly exalted Him. God hath highly exalted Jesus Christ. This is not something that Jesus Christ has done contrary to the will of the Father. This is not His, uh, His insurrection against the God of heaven. But it's always been the purpose and plan of God that Jesus Christ would get glory. Always. Let me say, not only is it a sovereign glory, but it's a singular glory. He's exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. There's no one like Him. There's no one like Him. There's no other name like His name. There's no other name that saves. There's no other name that sanctifies. There's no other name that seals. There's no other name that fills with the Spirit. There's no other name like the name of Jesus. We sing it over and over again, time and time again. There's just something about that name. You say, what is it about that name? That name has a power that no other name has. A man can call upon the name of Jesus Christ and be forgiven and washed of his sins. Not because it's a magic word, but because there's a sovereign God that responds.
repentance. Not because it's abracadabra or open sesame, but because we're crying out to a living Savior. There's no other world system or religious system or theological system or philosophical system or snuffleupagus system or whatever you want to call it around that has that kind of power. The Muslims can't do that. The Muslim, their, their God lives on the moon. That's sorry. Isn't that sorry? If you could be the God of the universe, Ralph, would you live on our moon, in this solar system, on our moon? That's silly. That's silly. But you know what? A religion that is birthed and that survives upon violence doesn't have to have any fluid or logical thought to it. None whatsoever. Take it by the edge of the sword and that's all that matters. Uh, Just drive with passionate devotion because people are searching for something to believe in. The Roman Catholics... They claim the name of Jesus, but they don't, they don't believe the name of Jesus. Not if they believe what their church teaches. Not if they believe what their church teaches. Uh, a good Roman Catholic is on their way to hell. A bad one might be able to be saved by God's grace. But if they're a good Catholic, meaning this, that they have, are, are adhering to the principles and teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, then they by default must accept another name above his name. They must by default accept the Pope's name as equal with his name because the Roman Catholics uh, believe that uh, when he uh, sits and speaks ex cathedra, that he's speaking as the voice of God, advanced revelation as the voice of God upon this earth. In other words, when the Bible says he's given him a name above every name, the Roman Catholic Church says, nuh-uh. We've got a name no matter whatever it might be, Pope Franny the 18th or whatever it is. There's another name that they claim is the name. The Bible teaches that there's only one name by which a man can be redeemed and washed of his sins. Only one name by which a man can receive salvation. It's not the name of a church. It's not the name of a religious body and a religious system. But it's only by the name of Jesus Christ that a man can be washed of his sin. That's a singular glory. There's no other name like that name. There's no other name that the poor and helpless sinner can call upon to receive salvation. There's no other name that with it is identified. The God of heaven, robed in flesh, dying for your sins and for mine. That's the name I'm talking about tonight. That's that's a name that's above every name. That's a name that's above political figures and religious figures. That's a name that's above the politics of mankind. That's a name unlike any other name. It's singular. It's a singular glory. The Bible teaches about the reality of this glory. Whether we want it or not, God hath highly exalted him. Whether we acknowledge it or not, God hath highly exalted him. Whether we accept it or not, God hath highly exalted him. But it gives us the reasons for this glory. You notice that little word, wherefore? I don't guess it's a little word, but it's one word, wherefore. That word, wherefore, uh, denotes a looking backward for reason, for purpose. In other words, if I was to give an explanation for something, if I was to say, uh, you know, I, I ate a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, stuff that I shouldn't have eaten today. I mean, I, you know what I was thinking about? When we have church dinners, we have casseroles. This is deep, Brother Ralph. We have casseroles. And we have several different types of casseroles. They're all yellow because that's the casserole colors, yellow. We put them all on one plate. And inevitably, they all get mixed together. Would that not be a casserole of casseroles? Would that not be what that is, Brother Ralph? I mean, that's not just a casserole. That's a casserole of casseroles. 
and you just kind of eat through it and you eat in, in quadrants. Amen. You eat in sections. You eat in like, in, in building code blocks and, and you get there and you say, I think this part of my plate over here has potatoes in it. <laughs> I think this part has broccoli in it. I don't know. Uh, but you know, it, I don't know where I was going with that, brother Ralph, but it don't matter. I ate a bunch of stuff that I shouldn't have eaten. I always do. And if I was to say, you know, uh, I uh, because I ate a bunch of stuff that I had eaten, wherefore I went and took me a nap today. What I'm saying is as a result of the things that I've done before, as a result of the things that I've spoken, wherefore, because of this. And the Bible says, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. So it's saying the reason for the exaltation is found in the previous verses. Notice a few reasons. I would say, first off, because of his station he has been given glory, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You say, what does it mean when it says who being in the form of God? Uh, that means he's always been God. And he's still God and he'll always be God. But at one time he was in the form of God. He left that form and took upon him the form of man. That he might walk amongst you and I. That he might die a ransom for our sins because of his station. He was God and he still is God. But he left the throne of glory. He left the place. Could you imagine? Boy, isn't it nice to be somewhere where you're loved. I mean, that's one of the things I love going to church. Well, not me, but I'm sure you all do. I love about going to church is uh, when you go to church, you know, you're around people that love you. Could you imagine what it was like for the Son of God sitting upon the throne of heaven? place where it was all about Him. All the praise, all the glory was given to Him. But the Bible says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of man, the nature of man. He took upon him a man's body. He humbled himself. He came to this earth. He left all the splendor of glory and all the splendor of heaven and came to this earth. He left all of the praise and all of the glory of heaven and came to this earth. He left all of the riches and all of the comfort to be born in a manger. Listen, there's no other religious system that can give you a God like that. None. I mean, listen, the, the priests won't do that, but our high priest did. The, listen, the, the, the various elders of various religious bodies, they won't do that, but our high priest did. You say, preacher, you're, uh, you're bragging. Yeah, I'm bragging on him tonight. I mean, listen, that's, that's phenomenal. That God in heaven would love you and would love me enough to leave his throne in glory, to come down to this earth. I think he was exalted because of his station. But I think he was exalted because of his submission. The Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Could you imagine? We talked about it this morning, about the crucifixion, about all that our Lord endured. Let me tell you something. If there's anything in our life that ought to cause us to give him glory, it's what he went through on the cross of Calvary. Your mama wouldn't do that for you. Your daddy wouldn't do that for you. Your best friend wouldn't do that for you. Your family wouldn't do that for you. You say, oh, sure they would. Oh, they might endure the beating, but they wouldn't endure the judgment of God. Not like he did. They wouldn't endure that. Nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. Nobody cares about you like Jesus cares about you. Ah, oh, preacher, that's simple. Yeah, the, the best truths usually are. Low enough to where even the child can understand that Christ was willing to be humbled in such a fashion willing to be beaten, willing to be scourged, willing to be spit upon, willing to be stripped naked, willing to have his beard plucked out, willing to be mocked before this world. We're talking the God of glory. We're talking the, the creative power of God, the Word of God. He spoke this world into existence and he could have spoken it out. He could have done whatsoever he pleased. As he hung upon that cross, Brother Ralph, he could have spoke one word and destroyed everyone there except those that had been loyal to him. And there weren't very many there that were. 
He could have done whatsoever he pleased. He could have rolled back time if he had chose to do so. And as the songwriter says, he could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He said, why didn't he do that for you and for me? For you and for me. I think he understood. The Bible says, oh, I like this. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that he despised the shame, endured the cross. Why? Looking forward, seeing the glory, seeing how God would exalt him. He endured those things for you and for me. I think because of his submission, but I think because of his sacrifice, obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. That's a whole nother level. I mean, that's so far beyond our understanding. I've been, I've been preaching on it for years now, not very many years, but for several years. I still ain't found the words. I know men that have been preaching 50, 60, 70 years. They still ain't found the words to describe. I, I, I don't know that we'll ever be able to describe what it was like for Christ in that darkness upon Calvary. As He hung there... Darkness shrouded the earth. He bore and became our sin for us. He deserves glory for that. I mean, you know what you're doing, Brother Ralph, when you, when you give someone glory, you're giving them praise. You're talking about the good things that they've done. Listen, we, we have so mutilated the definition of praise and glory and worship in modern day Christianity that we don't even know how to do it anymore. You know what it means to give Him glory? It means to attribute the good things that He has done to Him. That's what it means. It means to speak of what He's done and attribute it to His name. What do you think we're doing when we sit there and say as a ten-year-old boy, and that was me as a ten-year-old boy, lost and undone without Christ, God showed me my need of salvation and by grace through faith, I called upon Him and simply asked Him to forgive me my sins and save me. I didn't join a church. I didn't get baptized. I didn't practice a sacrament. I didn't give any money. I was a ten-year-old boy. I didn't know what to do except to call on the name of the Lord. But that was enough. He saved me by His grace. He didn't have to save me again and again and again either. He saved me once for all. Not because of anything I've done, but because His work on Calvary was perfect. No man has to add anything to it or take anything away from it. God handled it Himself. What do you think the songwriter's speaking of? Rock of Ages, cleft for me. He, he wrote, uh, could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no langor? No, zeal means passionate fervor, langor. Uh, could my zeal no langor? No, in other words, no diminishing, no waxing, no, no satiate. Could my zeal no langor? No, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I could weep through all eternity, but if it wasn't for the blood of Calvary, that wouldn't be enough. I could be sorry through all of eternity. And listen, people that die and go to hell are. People that die and go to hell are. Where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You better believe they're sorry in hell. You better believe they're repentant in hell. But there's no place of repentance found for them because they've rejected their only hope, and that's the Christ of Calvary. That's the Son of God. That's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's the Lamb of God uh, which redeemeth us. They've rejected Him. They can weep and cry all that they wish to, but it's not enough without the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of His sacrifice, because of what He did on Calvary, I believe we ought to glorify Him. 
I believe we ought to stop this business of just glorifying them in the church house. Some of us need to start this business of glorifying them in the church house. But some of us need to stop this business of just glorifying them in the church house. There ain't a thing wrong with telling someone how good God's been to you. Not a thing wrong with that. It's giving Him glory. That's saying, God did this in my life. God worked. Hey, the bills were short, but God met a need. Hey, my health was was diminishing, but by His will and for His glory, not by my faith, but by His will and for His glory, He chose to work in my body and do something that I could not do. Hey, I had lost loved ones on their way to hell, and I prayed, and I asked God. He gave me opportunity, and they came to know Christ, and God saved them. He did that. That's glorifying God. We see the reasons for this glory. But let me give you one last thing, and I'm going to hush. We see the response to the glory of this name. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should and every tongue should. This word should denotes that this is a response that should be expected in this scenario. It denotes that this is how we respond to this truth and to this ideal and to this activity. You want to know how God expects you to respond to the cross of Calvary? Let me give you two things. That every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you very clearly. I don't believe in what some would define as a lordship salvation, but I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that He's Lord. And I don't believe that God takes anyone on a bargain system. I believe that when a sinner is broken and knows their need of salvation, if they'll come to Jesus Christ, He'll pardon them and save them and cleanse them and wash them, birth them into the family of God. He'll save them by His grace. And I kind of believe, I know as a 10-year-old boy, when I came in that shape, there's no question who's in charge. There's no question who was the Lord. I was coming to Him for salvation. You say, now preacher, are you saying you've always lived that way? No, there's been times in my life when I've not treated Him as my Lord. There's been times in my life when I've not given Him the glory and the authority in my life that He deserves. That's the difference. That's why I don't believe in a lordship salvation. People that believe in a lordship salvation would tell me I'm I'm not saved because there's been times in my life when I've not lived like I ought to. I reject that completely and wholly. But I'll tell you this, I don't believe this mess that you just pray a prayer and that's it. Whether you mean it or not, whether you're sincere or not, whether you really believe or not, if you just say the words, that's enough. That's as out of hell as it gets. I believe if you take God at His word, if you take Him as He is, I believe He'll take you as you are. And you say, how do I take Him as He is? He's the Lord of glory. He's the Savior. He's the Lamb slain. He's your only hope. Your only hope. What does it mean to confess? That every tongue should confess. The word confess means to agree with about. It doesn't mean to confess like you and I think of, uh, the word uh, confess, well, we own up to something that we've done. But the word confess means to agree with someone about something. And you know what God says? The sinner must change his mind about his sin and his self. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord whether we accept it or not. There'll come a day, like it or not, when our knees will bow and when our tongue will confess. But the first step to the sinner is that he come to God, that he agree with God about who he is and what he is. I'll tell you why a lot of people die and go to hell. They die and go to hell because they're too busy comparing themselves with others. I've talked about this a lot, church, but I see it all the time. Nine nine times out of ten, if you ask someone if they're a sinner, they'll say yes. If you ask them if they need salvation, they'll say no. Why is that? 
If you're a sinner, you need a Savior. But why is that? Because when they say they're a sinner, they don't mean they're a sinner lost and undone and on their way to hell like they really are, like the Bible teaches that they are. What they mean is, well, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I do some things pretty bad, but I think God's going to be okay with them because I'm basically good. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. You don't have to be bad. You just have to not be perfect. And you and I both are in that boat. He was born into this world. He was born into sin. You say, I ain't done anything all that bad. No, but you haven't lived up to God's perfect standard. And therefore, you're in need of a Savior. You're in need of a Savior. So to confess with is to agree with God. Not to agree with the world's definition of what a sinner is. Not to agree with our own concocted definition of what a sinner is. But to agree with the Lord about what a sinner is. And to agree with Him about who we are. That we're in need of Christ's salvation. We confess Him. Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There has to be an acceptance of His person. We've got people dying and going to hell because they think, because they believe a body of doctrine that that's sufficient. When the Bible says it's not about believing a body of doctrine, of course we need to believe a body of doctrine. Of course there's some things we have to believe. Of course you have to put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But to put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is to believe not just that He died, not just that He was buried, but glory to God that He rose up the third day and that He's alive and able to save you. We've got people accepting His principles, but not accepting His person. We've got people accepting a denomination, but not accepting the divine God of heaven. We've got people that are willing to accept His teachings, but not willing to accept Him as the testator, Him as the sacrifice, Him as the one that has died for their sins. Let me give you a final thing. Not only should there be an acceptance of His person, but an acknowledgement of His position that every knee should bow. That every knee should bow. I believe any sinner that truly gets saved comes on a bowed knee. You say, oh, preacher, you mean physically. No, I don't mean physically. There's some people that aren't able to bow down on their knees. But I mean in their heart of hearts. They don't come ready to fight. And they don't come ready to argue with God. They come broken in need of a Savior. That's how I came. That's how I came to the Lord. We'd probably go around the room and, and, and we'd find person after person after person that would agree to the same thing. That's how they came. They came on bowed knee. They might not have been physically bowing down. They might have not been in a physically prostrate position. But in their heart of hearts, they were bowing themselves to the Lord of glory, acknowledging Him as the God of heaven. But let me say, not only for the sinner, but also for the saint. Let me tell you what will mess your life up quicker than anything is when you try to take the steering wheel away from the Lord. When you try to take the throne away from Him, it will mess your life up quicker than anything. I see it all the time, and I'm sure you have too. I've seen people with little bumper stickers, God's my co-pilot. I guess that sounds cute. Some kiosk up in Pigeon Forge has made a ton off of it, I'm sure. But no, if he's your co-pilot, you've messed up. I said it this morning, that, that, that idiot politician up north said that, that uh, religion is just a crutch or that Jesus Christ is a crutch. Said, no, he ain't a crutch, he's the whole stretcher. He ain't just there to help me, he's my only hope, my only hope. If Jesus Christ, and he never will be, mind you, let God be true and every man a liar. But listen to me, I, I believe so wholeheartedly and I am trusting and depending so completely upon Him. And I don't say that to puff myself up. I say that to say He is my only lifeline, He is my only hope. Listen, if I was to find out that salvation 
was by works and not by grace, I would be hopeless. Because I am trusting wholly upon Him. Works is not a plan B for me. Works is something that I do for the glory of God, foreordained to walk in them after we have been saved. My works do not save me. My baptism does not save me. My denomination does not save me. My church membership does not save me. My pastorate does not save me. My only hope is in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my only hope. My only hope tonight. If it was found to be something else, I'd be hopeless. That's my only hope. But can I tell you that when I bowed my knee to Him, He took my hand and He saved me. There's been times in my life when I've tried to take it away from Him, and that'll get you in a mess quicker than you can imagine. But can I say to you tonight, and some of you might be in a mess because you've done that, but can I say to you tonight, God's willing to forgive you. Hey, there ain't a thing you've done God can't forgive you of. If you're lost and undone, Christ is willing and ready to save. He's not just willing, He's ready to save you tonight. Not, not by joining in the church. Not by keeping a promise. Not, no. He's willing to save you by His blood and by His grace. Full and free pardon paid for by the cross of Calvary. And if you've got your life in shambles, if you're saved and you know you're saved, but your life is not where it needs to be, you've got a God in heaven that cares about you. may not always feel like it, but it's always true. That cares about you, that wants to make something out of your life. He's willing. He's ready. He's able.